If you have your Bibles, open it up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about a portrait of a healthy Christian and what does it look like to be a healthy Christian? And this morning I want to get to the next mark of a healthy Christian. But before I do, let me read what Chuck Swindoll writes in his book, Strike the Original Match. He writes, Maybe you heard about the guy who fell in love with an opera singer. He hardly knew her since his only view of the singer was through binoculars from the third balcony. But he was convinced he could live happily ever after, married to a voice like that. He scarcely noticed that she was considerably older than he, nor did he care that she walked with a limp. Her mezzo-soprano voice would take them through whatever might come. After a whirlwind romance and a hurry-up ceremony, they were off for their honeymoon. She began to prepare for their first night together. As he watched, his chin dropped to his chest. She plucked out her glass eye and plopped it into the container on the nightstand. She pulled off her wig, ripped off her false eyelashes, yanked out her dentures, unstrapped her artificial leg and smiled at him as she slipped off her glasses that hid the hearing aid. Stunned and horrified, he grasped, for goodness sakes, woman, sing! Sing, woman, sing! You know, it's easy for us to say that I love you. Words can come cheap. It's easy for this man to to see a figure on a stage that he didn't really know and fall in love and say that he loves someone. And we do the same thing. Words are cheap. We say all the time that I love you or we love this thing or we love that thing. But it's easy to say it, but it's hard to put love into action at times, isn't it? And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12. He says, listen, it's easy to say I love you. It's easy to say that you love something and that you'll do something for someone that you have the best good for that person. But it's a lot more meaningful when you put it into action. And perhaps you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, there are some people that are harder to love than other people. There are some unlovely people in our lives. Maybe it is a difficult boss or an ungrateful spouse or, or maybe it's a wayward child and it makes it hard to love. And you say that I love you with all of my heart. And yet, do your actions back up what your words say? So Paul illustrates it for us this morning in Romans chapter 12. And he uses that word agape. You've heard that word, I'm sure. Most of you in this room listening online, you've heard that word agape love. Agape love is not just words that come out. Agape love is not just an attitude that you have. Agape love is love in action. It is putting the needs of someone else before your own. It is difficult at times to have agape love. And so that leads us to the next mark of a healthy Christian. We've already discovered that a healthy Christian willingly surrenders to God, that a healthy Christian is transformed by the renewal of his or her mind. 
A healthy Christian serves one another with the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And fourth, and today, a healthy Christian is marked by love, agape love. Look in verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. My question to you this morning, is your life marked with love? If, is the chief characteristic in your life love? See, there are so many misrepresentations and misunderstandings in the world around us because so many people claim to be a Christian and yet they don't back it up with actions. They say, oh, we love our neighbors and then we throw stones at them, whether it's literal or figuratively. So how is your love life this morning? Not just your love life with God or your love life with your spouse, but how is your love life with those around you today? You see, to be a, an agape Christian, a love Christian, one who shows God's love to other people out there, it's more than just words. We have to walk the way Jesus walked. We have to love the way Jesus loved. We can't just call ourselves Christians and that we love people the way God loves people unless we actually walk the walk and not just say the words. D.L. Moody stated, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. So if the 99 have their eyes on you, would your love life let them know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. See, we are a walking representation of Jesus to the world around us. To live a transformed, healthy Christian life means that we must love the way that Jesus loves. And how did Jesus love? He loves us with agape love. Unconditional you're familiar with the word, I'm sure. If you have, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. You can look on the screen behind me. Here in 1 John, John tells us what agape love is. And as you notice as we read these two verses that five times John uses that word agape. Four times he uses the word agape and once he uses a version of the word. It has a different trans. Uh, 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 prefix on it but look in verse 7 he says let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love five times he uses this word agape Agape is almost always used to describe the love that is of and from God. Throughout the Bible, I think it's 170-something times we see the word love in the New Testament. In every single one of them, when it's talking about God's love for us, is this word agape love. Paul, I mean, uh, John tells us that this love that describes God is of God and from God 
in whose very nature is love. Agape love is pure, willful, sacrificial. It's intentional. It desires another person's highest good. Do you agape love like that? The type of love that characterizes God is not some sappy love like we talk about today. Oh, I love that movie, or I love pizza, or I love Mexican food, or I love tacos. As you can see, I love a lot of food, right? No, that's not the kind of love that that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. And what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, he says, God loves us because that is his nature. And love is the expression of who he is. Love is God's nature. And it is his expression of who he is. He loves the unlovable. He loves the unlovely. Not because we deserve to be loved or because any excellence that we may possess. No, he loves us because it is his nature to love us. He must be true to his nature. And we too need to love the way God loves. And I know as well as you do, loving can be difficult at times, can it? Even people we like can sometimes be hard to love. If you have been married for even a minute, I can assure you, you've already had a fight. It happens. Connie and I have been married 35 years, some of you much longer than that, some of you less than that. But I know, and you know if you're honest, there have been times where you have fought with one another. And that person made it hard to love them. You like them, you really do love them, you have uh, committed the rest of your life with them, but sometimes it is hard to love other people. And do you know why? Because of sin. And it's not their sin I'm talking about, which that is part of the problem, but it is our sin. It is hard for us to love other people when we are fallen creatures. And he makes it hard for us to love one another. And it's important, especially in these times when a brother or sister is difficult to love, is that they are just as fallen as we are. And apart from God and his power, we are selfish and loving ourselves comes more naturally than loving other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think Paul gives the best definition of agape love anywhere in the, in the Bible. Beginning in verse 4, he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That, my friends, is the definition of agape love, the way God loves us. And a spiritually healthy Christian 
exhibits this kind of love. But you already said, Brother David, it's unnatural for us to do that. That's right. It is God's nature to do this kind of love, not our nature, right? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let me show you something about your neighbor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. A transformed, healthy Christian is, do you see what it says? In Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? What it means is that we have a brand new identity. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, part of that transformation process is leaving our old sinful nature and embracing fully that new nature that we have in Jesus Christ. We have the very nature of God living within us. When you put your faith in Jesus and him alone and you invite him into your life to make him your Lord and master, at that moment immediately the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And the Holy Spirit of God who is just as much God as God the Father and just as much God as God the Son, you have in you as a believer in Jesus Christ all of God living within you. And Paul tells us and he assures us here that we have a brand new nature. Yes, we still have a sinful nature, a fleshly nature. The question is, is which one will you kill? You know, because of God's perfect justice, sin cannot be tolerated. He cannot simply overlook or excuse sin. That would not be just. It has to be punished. There has to be a price that is paid. All the wrath God holds towards evil was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus took our place on the cross, he suffered for us on that cross. All the punishment, all of the shame, all of the guilt that we deserve because of the sin in our life was poured out on Jesus, the very Son of God. And do you know what the last words of Jesus were on that cross? He said, it is finished. What was finished? Was Jesus talking about he breathed his last breath? that he died it is finished we know he couldn't have meant that because guess what three days later he's back alive right easter he was resurrected from the dead know what he said when he's what he meant when he said it is finished he says i've done all that it needed to be done to fulfill my father's plan to redeem the world He paid it in full. Every act of rebellion, every sin that we have, everything in the past and the present and the future, everything has been paid in full by Jesus. And because of our sin being paid in full, we then can live a transformed life, meaning our old nature is dead and we have a new nature through the Holy Spirit. The question is, is which nature will you feed? Which nature will you live by? 
Our new nature then is what? It's Christ's nature. It is God's nature. And it is God's nature to do what? To love. If you truly are a transformed, healthy believer in Jesus Christ, your life will be marked with agape love. Number two, how else did Jesus love? He loved genuinely. I love that, don't you? This word genuinely right here, what Paul is talking about, he says that it is sincere, it's genuine. It is the same, it it, it comes from the same family of Greek words where we get our word hypocrite. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Listen, a person who loves like Jesus loves does not love hypocritically. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because some of, well, let me be honest, I've done it. I have loved hypocritically before. There have been times when that person that I don't like, that I don't want to be around that person that makes it hard for me to love them, I smile and shake their hand and hug their neck and say, oh, I love you so much, when inside I'm lying. Have you ever done it? That's what Paul says here. When we tell someone, when we, see, it's more than words. It goes back to the guy that marries the opera singer. As long as she's singing, he loves her. But when he sees her real self, listen, it's all off. It's over. It's superficial. It is not genuine. Is your love, your agape love, genuine? See, and part of the difficulty of loving other people is that we often try to do it in our own nature, don't we? We try to do it ourselves. We try to stir up those feelings of love where there are no feelings of love. And it doesn't feel right. You've been there. I know I have. And there is a reason for it. It is because it's hypocritical. Play acting the part of the loving person is hypocritical. And when our hearts are really cold towards another person, it's hypocritical. See, we must understand that we cannot love apart from God. Period. It must be a miraculous work of God in us to agape love others the way that God does. And how do we do that? By becoming that new creation. Not feeding that old sinful nature in our lives, but feeding that new nature, walking with God. Number three, look what he says. How did Jesus love? He abhors what is evil do you abhor what is evil think about that for just a moment you think about all those things that you put in your mind or bring into your life do you truly abhor evil see this goes back to being transformed into the image of God and the old nature dying and the new nature coming because of God's holiness and because of his righteousness it is his nature to abhor evil to hate it Psalm 5 David writes for you are not a God who delights in wickedness evil may not dwell with you that word abhor it means to hate, to loathe. It means to find repugnant. I like that word repugnant. That's kind of fun to say. Y'all want to say it with me? Okay, let's all together. Let's say repugnant. Isn't that fun to say? 
It is a great word, repugnant. And you know exactly what it means because when you've gone to the refrigerator and you take out that, uh, that, that gallon of milk that's been there about three weeks too long and you take a big sip out of the carton, because even though your wife tells you not to, you should use a glass, but you do, right? And it's sour, it's repugnant. And what do you do? You spit it out of your mouth, don't you? You spew it all over everything. And then you pour that milk out. See, that is how God sees the sin in your life. It is repugnant. And that's how he sees the sin in my own life. It's repugnant. He wants to spit us out. It's sour. It does not taste good. And see, if we love the way Jesus loves, not only, there's two things that you need to realize. When we love the way Jesus loves, we will abhor evil, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others around us too. We will find it repugnant. You think about that sin in your life. Do you abhor it? Do you find it repugnant? Are you doing everything you can to get rid of it, to get it out of your life? See, God, he hates sin. He abhors sin. And because we have his nature living within us in the perfect person of the Holy Spirit, we too need to hate sin beginning in our own lives and then moving to those around us. So God hates any morally objectionable behavior. But you need to be really careful here. See, God hates sin. He finds it repugnant. But God loves the sinner. We too need to hate sin. We too need to find it repugnant. But we too need to love the sinner. Too often what we do is we either hate them both, the sin and the sinner, or we love them both, the sin and the sinner. But that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to love the way he loves. Because God is holy, his wrath against evil is as much about his character as his love. The love of God is pure and it's holy. The Lord loves justice and truth and holiness and righteousness. And therefore he must hate wickedness. And so so should we. If God did not abhor what is evil, he could not be God with a holy love that he is. A transformed, healthy believer abhors sins, but loves the sinner. You know what we think of when we hear that? When, when you hear this, that phrase, you've heard it before, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. Most of you, when you hear that phrase, you think, oh, I'm talking about that person who is lost, who has not come to Christ yet. No, that's not what I mean. To hate the sin and love the sinner means that it's the person sitting on the pew with you, including yourself. 
is to those that are in the body of Christ, those who have professed Jesus as Savior and Lord, a healthy Christian who has a new nature will hate sin in not only their lives, but in the lives of others, even their own church family. Number four, how did Jesus love? He held fast to what is good. You and I are bombarded with messages. You know that even if you got up from, from uh, your sleep this morning, never turned on the radio or the television or looked at the computer, uh, you got in your car, you didn't turn on the car radio and you just drove. If you're drove, whether you're coming from Hawkins or from Holly Lake Ranch in either direction, you know what? You are bombarded by messages. And you go, what? Yeah, we have billboards now, right? And messages are coming into our lives. And many of those messages that are coming in our lives is from Satan himself. There are places where you cannot go without getting a message from Satan. And you, you can't even watch television or listen to the radio or read a book or, or go to a magazine or go on the internet. I mean, we, get, we are bombarded with messages on a daily basis. And it's not just adults who are being bombarded with these messages, but our children are being bombarded with these messages. I tell you what, one of my favorite movies when my girls were little was Toy Story. Y'all remember Toy Story? Today, Toy Story, who is now made by Disney Pixar, and it has a spinoff called Lightyear. I loved Buzz Lightyear, right? And now Lightyear is a movie. And in the movie, here is the message that this movie is telling your children. It's, it has a scene with a same-sex kiss in it. This is what our children are being bombarded with. We can't even trust Disney. We can't trust anything. So we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must hold fast to what is good. And we must make sure of everything that comes into our lives and into our children's life is from God and was good and not from the world. And you go, well, brother, how, how do we do that? Well, Philippians chapter four tells us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, if we want to protect ourselves and our children from the messages of the world that we are bombarded with, this is how we do it. That we, brothers and sisters, we look and think about those things that are worthy. A transformed, healthy Christian will hold fast to God's word. And how do we, how are we able to stand when that deception comes, when those messages bombard us? We stand on his word and it alone. Nothing else. A spiritually healthy Christian is mindful of the messages that compete for our time and our attention. And as we examine everything carefully to see if it aligns with God's word, we are able to hold fast to that which is good and abstain from that which is evil. Now look at verse 10. 
Paul writes, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. See here, Paul uses another Greek word. Instead of agape, he uses the Greek word Philadelphia. The root of that word Philadelphia is phileo. But here he uses the word Philadelphia. We all have heard of, uh, uh, what is it? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? And that's what it means. It means brotherly affection. It means that you treat other, that you're kind to people and that you treat those around you like you would a sibling. Now, don't tell me about your dysfunctional family where you throw things at your siblings, okay? But if you grew up in a healthy family, even if you didn't, even if you did have some sort of dysfunction, there is this kinmanship, there is this love, there is this affection that we have with one another in our own families. Even if we don't like them, 99% of us will do anything for them. And I understand there are some exceptions in that. But that what, that's what Paul is telling us here. This kind of love, guess what? Is never used for God. Not one time can you find in the New Testament where any of the New Testament, New Testament writers use the word Philadelphia speaking of God. His love is always agape love. Always having the best interest, your best interest in mind. But a great example of this phileo love, you remember David and Jonathan in the Old Testament? In 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, Jonathan, it says that Jonathan and David became one in spirit. That's how close they were. Maybe you have a friend or a sibling that, that if you've ever known any twins i have twin niece and nephew and, and listen it is uncanny the way that they think they they know how the other one is feeling they are one spirit that's what paul is telling us that we should be and then if you go on and read in first samuel chapter 18 it says that jonathan loved david as himself and let me commend you, Hollybrook Baptist Church, because we have a church, in my opinion, is better than any church I've ever seen in brotherly affection. You do a great job. I was just at lunch with um, a couple of new members last week. And they told me that the moment that they entered this place, they felt loved, that brotherly affection that people came to them and shook their hand and recognized them and knew their names after a couple of visits. You do a good job of that. Continue. Keep it up. But not just the brotherly love. Don't forget that agape love. To love the way Jesus loved. See, phileo love is the byproduct of a transformed, healthy Christian who obeys and adheres to the word of God. And then finally, look what he says there. Outdo one another in showing honor. I thought about that. How do I illustrate that? How do I illustrate, how do you outdo someone showing honor to them? Well, I think maybe this commercial will help. It's your turn. Nope, I think it's your turn. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Go. I appreciate your appreciation. It fills me. Years. Come on. After you. After you. Say the first. 
about you? No, I insist. It's your turn. Nothing oh, it's over. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Go. That, my friends, is showing honor. That is outdoing others. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's how we should treat other people. We should outdo everything for everyone, whether it comes in love and respect and honor. That word honor, what does it mean? It means to hold someone in high esteem. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When we live every moment with the expectation of blessing other people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are fulfilling God's desire for his church. We are being that healthy portrait of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So, do you have the mark of a healthy believer? If so, you will agape love. You will hold others in high esteem. You'll put others above your needs and, and put your needs down here. That's what agape love. And this week, we have members from our church that are doing exactly that. They're putting other people's needs before their own. We have 24 people from Hollybrook Baptist Church and seven people from First Baptist Church Gilmer that are going on a mission trip to New Orleans this week. And I would like to ask you to pray for us, to pray for our vehicles and our trailers and our equipment that we would be Jesus to the people we see down there. That they would see the agape love that I've been talking about this morning. So what I'd like to do is all of our missionaries, those who are going on the trip, if you would come to the front, please. All of our missionaries, would you come to the front? Gentlemen, please. These are our missionaries. Just stand right here at the front, if you would, please. Fill up the stage all across. So I'm going to ask you to pray for these that are going on the trip. We did this in the first service. And I'm going to take it a step further, not just to promise to pray, but maybe you would pick a particular person or two, or maybe it's the whole group. But would you just pick a person or two and say, I'm going to pray for you this week. And would you do that by coming to the front? Be, come and lay hands on that person. Just where, where you're sitting, would you come to the front and, and lay hands on someone and say that I will pray for you this week.
I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And as I do, you pray. Pray that that we would be Jesus. Father, I thank you for these missionaries. They're giving up their time and resources to go and to agape love others. And I pray, Father, that you would protect us, that you would protect our vehicles, that we would get there and back with no problems, no issues, no mechanical failures. All of our equipment that we use, God, that it would work perfectly. We pray for each of us that we would not only have that phileo love with one another, but even within ourselves, God, that we would have agape love for each other. Father, most of all, we pray for those whom we are serving. Whether we're working in a house or in a church or in a yard or serving cookies in a backyard Bible club, God, everything we do, I pray that we would do it with you in mind. That they would see Jesus in us. Father, when we uh, on Thursday evening preach the gospel, oh, don't let them see David, let them see Jesus. God, we just pray that you would be glorified, that people would be saved, and that you would be honored. Thank you for these missionaries, God. Thank you for their families. I lift them up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. As you're returning to your seat, we'd ask that you would continue to pray for us all week long. It's going to be hot and humid down there. Probably not any more hot and humid than it is here, right? But it's going to be hot and humid. We're going to be working in the attic and out in the backyard. And, and so if you would pray for us, that would be an awesome thing. And as we come to this time of invitation... Again, we invite God to do whatever it is God needs to do. Maybe right where you're sitting, you need, maybe he's spoken to you and you, you've realized you haven't agape love like he, like, like he would want you to. Or maybe you need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to trust Jesus as Savior. Or maybe you need to come and join the church. Whatever it is, this time is for you. We give it to you. to give to God Father we love you and we thank you that we can come and not just worship you but to respond to you and I pray Father that whatever needs to happen would happen during this time of invitation in Jesus name I pray let's stand together and sing